Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Over the coming months, we as a church are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed together, an ancient summary of the Christian faith that has traveled through thousands of years and functioned as an anchor of truth in a constantly shifting world. The Creed presents truth claims that can be explored, that provoke questions, that come directly from scripture and that are owned by a community. Thanks for joining us. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. We're here together this morning in the presence of God. Isn't it just wonderful to worship him, to have him speak to us, and he's going to speak to us some more now. So I'm just going to pray that we're going to hear his living word bringing life to us. Okay, Heavenly Father, I thank you. You are here by the power of your Holy Spirit to make known your precious Son, in whom is all life, all hope, all joy, all peace. So we pray, Spirit of God, move now. May it not be mine, but your words that are heard, because your words bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a teaching series exploring the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Creed is an ancient, compressed summary of the story of the Bible, a story that is all about Jesus. And today we're going to zoom in on the lines of the Creed that say Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. Now those last four words, he descended into hell, will take more time to explore than we have available this morning. Um, so in the coming weeks, actually, you'll all be invited to a midweek learning community where we can chew the fat on that one together, okay? So look out for that. We will touch on it today, though, as we explore these lines of the Apostles' Creed through the lens of that famous passage in Paul's letter to the Philippians. 
Uh, the passage that Katie read out from the Bible is thought to be a very early Christian hymn that Paul is quoting as he writes to the church in Philippi. A hymn that they would have been very familiar with, perhaps one that they sung regularly. A bit like me writing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And in in the first half of that hymn in Philippians chapter 2, you get the sense of a progressive descent. Sometimes it's called the humiliation of Christ. It goes down, 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 and then up, up, up. I wonder what the music would have been like to reflect that theme. I bet our musicians here in Oasis would be able to help us capture some of that. We have some wonderful musicians here in Oasis. Though being in very nature God, Christ made himself nothing. Taking the nature of a servant, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it starts with the incarnation. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. We sing those words, they're so familiar. Sorry, Chloe, I know you are dying in the front row right now. Daddy is singing in front of him? What came over him? How dare he? I could just see it written all over your face. I'm so sorry. And yet, those words, so familiar, so freely spoken, so scandalous. The truth that Adrian unpacked to us just two weeks ago, the eternal son of God, without losing any of his divinity, added to himself humanity. He took on flesh. He became one of us. He participated fully in our human condition, born as we are, nursed as we are, fed as we are, toddled as we do grew as we do. Jesus did not give up being God, but he gave up his divine privileges in order to walk in our shoes. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing that you could literally bump into God on the dusty streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago while at the market. Mind-blowing. He knew life as we know it. And Dr. Ben Myers points out that the earliest Jesus followers soon began summarizing his life in one word, the word suffering. Now, that might seem like a strange word to choose because, after all, the gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was a man of great joy. Now, he was a people person who enjoyed parties and food and the songs of children, as well as solitude and time just enjoying creation. So he connects with the extrovert and the introvert because all may find their home in him. But he was also a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, using the words of the prophet Isaiah. But joy in the midst of suffering is a pretty good summary of the human experience, isn't it? Take, for example, my week just gone. Uh, I have enjoyed reading stories to my daughters I've enjoyed playing football with my friends. I'm having a bit of a renaissance, actually. (laughs) Wasn't actually a joke. (laughs) Box to box midfielder. Um, I have enjoyed chats with my wife. I've enjoyed good TV shows. I've enjoyed treating patients in hospital and seeing some improvements. 
I've enjoyed breakfast, elevenses, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, <laughs> evening snacks. I've enjoyed practicing gratitude for all of these things as per, as per last Sunday's encouragement. But also this week, I felt frequent distress by the state of the world. I've been a little preoccupied with our energy bills. I felt stressed out by how much is on my plate. I felt at times misunderstood by others, irritated by low-level back pain, all the box-to-box midfieldering, worried about my family. I've had people cry on me knowing I can't fix them, and I've attended the funeral of a much-loved friend. Joy, yes. Suffering, yes. The usual suffering of everyday life. What's your life like? Can you relate to that mix? I bet you can. Christ has participated fully in our humanity. He has joined himself to us. He knows our joys. He knows our sorrows. The Son of God entered right into our story to rewrite our story in his story. So I ask with the Apostle Paul in the letter to Rome, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is no experience, none, that can keep us from the love of God. For Christ has entered in to be God with us in all of human experience. Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, the creed says. Karl Barth, the 20th century Swiss theologian, says that Pontius Pilate enters the Apostles' Creed like a dog into a nice room. Love that quote. It's strange how the name of this man, which might have been lost to history, has been taken on the lips of billions of people throughout time as they recite the creed. It's because, though, the creed is not a set of ideas or theories. It's a compressed version of the most important story in all the world, one that is grounded in real events that happened in time and space. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate in around AD 30 in the Middle East. No respectable historian would argue with that. It it happened. The salvation of the world can be dated. And the Philippian hymn tells us that Christ shared in human likeness. He suffered. The hymn goes on further down. He became obedient to death. It was Benjamin Franklin who famously said that in life two things are certain, death and taxes. Boy, don't we know it. Yeah, Not even Liz Truss can change that. And Jesus paid taxes and Jesus died. The eternal Son of God, the fountain of all life, died. And so will I, and so will you. Ben Myers explains, everyone comes into the world through the womb and departs into the tomb. And so the Son of God embraced our humanity at these extreme limits. In the Hebrew scriptures, the place of the dead is called Sheol, which when translated into Greek is Hades, the realm of the dead, the underworld, characterized by 
incapacity in Hebrew thought. The dead lack animation, unable to do anything. So in Psalm 6, verse 5, it says, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Or in Isaiah 38, 18 to 19, it says, For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you, as I am doing today. Parents tell their children of your faithfulness. And yet Christ, the very word of life, has joined us in our death. He became obedient to death. He joined us there, identifying with us there. He descended into Hades, and in so doing, he has joined us to himself there, right there. The Son of God has plumbed the depths of the grave. We've heard it read out earlier. He plumbed the depths of Hades, breaking down the gates and taking back the keys to bring us up into his life. So I ask with the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. To live in this truth is confidence and peace. Even in suffering, even in dying. John Preston was a church minister in the 16th century and when he lay dying from a terminal illness, he was asked by a friend whether he was afraid now that death was so near. And in reply, he whispered, no, for I shall change my place, but I shall not change my company. Christ with us in life, Christ with us in death. He has shared our condition even to death so that we may share his condition even to eternal life the immortal Son of God becoming mortal to draw us up into his story. Where he is gone, we shall follow until like him we are raised with an immortal body. And so Ben Myers, again, he puts it like this. Because in Jesus, God has fully shared our condition, there is no human experience that can alienate us from God. Even dying becomes another way of following Jesus. And identifying with him. Love that. He suffered, he died for you, for me, to bring us to God, to share with us what is his. But the Philippian hymn does not present the fact of Jesus' death as the lowest point of his descent. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Down, down, down. The Son of God descends, even death on a cross. The Apostles' Creed confesses that Christ was crucified. But why crucifixion? Why? Why even death on a cross? I mean, there were so many ways that Jesus could have died. He could have been stoned like Stephen. He could have been beheaded like John the Baptist. He could have had a terminal illness like King David. So why crucifixion? Why even death on a cross? Crucifixion was Jesus' ultimate descent because of the 
gravity of the human condition under the power of sin. And because of the completeness of his saving work to rescue us from it. There's so much that could be said here. I'm just going to try and say a little bit as clearly as possible. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, verse, chapter 21, verse 23, it says that anyone hanged on a tree is under God's curse. One of the reasons why Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to be crucified was because they thought that would empty him of all authority as a would-be Messiah. Because anyone hanged on a tree is under God's judgment and outside of his blessing. So if we do that to him, then surely that's the end of it all. And to be sure, Jesus did take upon himself a curse at the cross, but it was not one that rightly belonged to him. The sinless son of God participated fully in our plight, taking to himself our curse that we may share in his blessing. From the very first pages of the Bible, humankind has lived under the curse of sin. You can think about sin as the discrete acts of wrongdoing, you know, a loss of temper here, a lie told there, a bad thought here. But actually, in biblical thought, sin is presented more as a power under which we all struggle. The power that makes us prone to destructive behaviors and impulses and attitudes. We can become addicted to them, whether it's arrogance or perfectionism or selfishness or being in control or substance abuse. It's all the same. It's a tendency we have to say no to God in some or all areas of life. But the thing is, if you say no to God, you are necessarily saying no to goodness because every good thing comes from him. And so it's a cursed state, represented by the Bible, in the Bible, by thorns and brambles that come up from the ground and they choke life and they choke beauty. Sin does that. It makes us less than who we are. So we say things like, I don't know what came over me. Or he's acting like an animal. Or she, she forgot herself. Sin steals life. It steals beauty like, like thorns choking flowers. And on the cross, Jesus wore a crown of thorns, taking on his head our curse, that, that state, participating fully in our condition. Jesus went to the cross with the words of Psalm 22 on his lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm goes on to say, I'm a worm and not a human, scorned by others. All who see me mock, they pierce my hands and my feet. Amazing how a thousand years before this prophetic poem is given to describe what Jesus would take upon himself. Crucifixion was a God-forsaken death. Rome designed it to cast a person out of the human community. Powerless. Naked, shamed, brought to nothing. It, it, was, it has been described as a fate worse than death because it was intended to wipe even, even the memory away of a person, leaving them with no record. This is illustrated by the fact that although thousands upon thousands of people were crucified by the Roman regime, we do not know the name of any one of them. Not one. 
that they're lost to history, apart from Jesus of Nazareth. That in itself is compelling evidence for the resurrection. How is it that we even know about the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, buried, and died? We'll come on to the resurrection next week. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ descended into the lowest depths of the human condition, the point of our utter distortion under the power of sin, in order to rescue us from it. The prophet Isaiah says that the suffering servant was marred beyond human likeness. According to Calvin, the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, was Christ's descent to hell, cut off from life and love and light. He experienced the full curse of our sin in order that that curse might itself be brought to nothing even by the very implement that was supposed to bring a person to nothing at the cross. In John 8, verse 34 to 36, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. At the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, took the part of the slave to bring us into his freedom. And we begin to experience it now in one day. I will no longer have my bad attitude. Completely free. His victory will be proclaimed as far as the curse is found. The hymn goes. He identifies with us in our brokenness that we may enter into his wholeness. He dies our death that we may enter into his life, the life of the son. Be in the family, crying out to God, Abba, Father. He participated in our curse that we may participate in his blessings. And so when we see Christ crucified, we see both the wretchedness of our sinful condition and at the very same time, our complete rescue from it. It's wonderful. And so Fleming Rutledge says this, participation in Christ means abandoning our pretenses, openly acknowledging our identities as sinners in bondage, and in the same moment realizing with a stab of piercing joy that the victory is already ours in Christ, won by him who died to save us. The danger is already past. Not the person who is lost, but the person who is saved can understand they are a sinner. And I'm here to tell you today, because of Christ, salvation has come. It's come. The danger is gone. He's borne the curse as far as it is found. Can I ask the band to come up? Something else I've enjoyed this week um, is the music of Pink, okay? Truth is, I'm a fan of Lady Gaga and I'm a fan of Pink. Yeah, but Rich Bopit is a mega fan of Taylor Swift, so I'm bringing him down with me, okay? <laughs> And Pink sings a song called My Attic. 
Yeah? And it's about those parts of life that seem unpresentable and shameful, parts we wouldn't want anyone to see, maybe things she's done or things done to her. And they're hidden away in her attic, which is kind of a metaphor for those parts in her brain where she just tries to forget them, shut them out. But she sings of lonely nights when they keep her awake. She sings about being afraid to be fully seen and fully known. Lyrics in the song are, I'm just terrified that you might see me different. You'll change your mind. You'll tell me I'm crazy. All these emotions I have, all this history I have, all this baggage I have, all this complexity I have. Instead, she hopes that you will tell me that I'm okay, tell me that you'll stay. We all have a tendency to hide the places where sin has spoiled and distorted, afraid to be seen. But the chorus of Pink's song is beautiful. It's kind of gospel. I wonder if she knows it. She says, I keep hiding the keys in all these places even I can't find, hoping one day you'll find them all because I want to let you inside my attic. Truth is, we all need to be known to, have, to not have to hide away in shame for fear of being cast out. Pink hopes that a human love will take her as she is, fully seen. The message of the cross is that the Son of God has joined us in the places of our humanity that are most desperate, most distorted, most dehumanizing in order to find us there and to love us there and to heal us there and to restore us there knowing we will not be cast out. For he has gone to the furthest reaches of our alienation to bring us home, to bring you home. Jesus says in John's gospel, those who come to me, I will never cast away by no means. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. For the crucified one has declared, it is finished. The curse is broken. He has done it. So I ask with the apostle Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So come to him as you are. Look at what he's done. He's come low to raise you up. To be with you in suffering, to be with you in death, to remove entirely the curse of your sin and to bring you into his life and love and goodness. Trust him. Trust him. He's yours. We're going to respond by singing a song which, whereby we will survey again the cross. And we're going to use this song as a response. And then there'll be an opportunity to pray. So I'll come back up after we sing. But why don't we stand together? I'll pray first. Why don't we close our eyes? Maybe for some of you here today, this is the first time that you've really, this has really landed. Maybe today you're seeing, oh, Jesus came for me, even for me. I want to say to you, yes, even for you. And there's nothing difficult you need to do 
because he's given us a gift. And what do you do with a gift? You just say, yes. Oh, yes, please. Jesus wants to come rushing in, even to those places that you think, I can't show, I can't show anyone, I can't show him this. This is in my attic. No. Even the furthest parts of our human condition, he comes to bring back to himself. Maybe though you've heard this a million times before, but again, you're struck by the beauty of it. Well, the Lord wants to say, there's more for you to know. He loves you. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister amongst us now that the wonder of the gospel would sit deep in us again and that we might be brought up, even as you, Jesus, came down low to bring us up into your condition, to be children of God. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.